0: Already been a long uh, time for many of you. Okay, I'll just leave it right there. No, I'm not. It bothers me. No, I'm just going to get it out of my way. There we go. Been a long week for a lot of you. It's going to be a longer week for many of you as you go through Bible school, and we are praying for you. I wish I had a real brief message for you today, but I don't, so... Um, We'll try to get through Psalm 19 quickly. It's a great companion to Psalm 8 that we did last week. Uh, You remember last week as we were looking at it, it continues the same train of thought that David had as he looked out into God's majesty throughout creation, but he carries it a step further in Psalm 19. It was C.S. Lewis who said of this particular psalm that we're seeing today, Psalm 19, he said the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's what he thought of Psalm 19. Some have called Psalm 8, the one that we did last week, the night psalm because it thinks of the heavens as we look at it in the evening, at night, viewed at the night. And Psalm 19, some have called the day psalm because it focuses on the daytime phenomenon of God's creation. Now, there are two theological concepts that will help us to better understand this particular psalm 19 general revelation and special revelation. Now, just a show of hands quickly, how many of you are aware of either one of those terms, general revelation, special revelation? Okay, for a lot of us, we're not, and so in the most simplistic terms, general revelation is creation pointing to the creator. General revelation is creation pointing to the creator. Special revelation is scripture pointing to a savior. General revelation is for everyone. Special revelation is for everyone who reads God's Word. And we're going to see that as we unpack Psalm 19 together. As Francis Bacon, the 15th century scientist who developed the scientific, scientific method, he said, there are two books laid before us to study to prevent our falling into error. First is a volume of the Scriptures which reveal the will of God then the volume of creation, which expresses his power. See, the Bible begins with this understanding that God speaks. In Genesis 1:3 it says, In the beginning God spoke, and he said, Let there be light, and there was. John opened his gospel with the same message. He said, In the beginning was the Word. God is a communicator. And David uses this particular psalm to explain two of the ways that he communicates to all of us. First of all, general revelation found in Psalm 19, 1 through 6. It's really divided into two different uh, poems, it would be said. The first talks about general revelation. The second part talks about special revelation. Again, general revelation is creation pointing to the Creator. Special revelation is Scripture pointing to the Savior. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, as the heavens declare the glory of the God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voices go on throughout all of the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes the circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. As he begins this particular passage of scripture, David is saying both the heavens and the skies. Talking about two different dynamics there. The heavens being what we see above the atmosphere, all the stars, the sun, the moon. And then the skies, what we see, isn't it phenomenal to watch birds fly through the sky, to watch the clouds as they make their way through the air? He says both of these are continuously declaring the majesty of God. He starts off by referring to God as the mighty one. That always makes me laugh at Vacation Bible School Week because as you look back here in the corner, you'll see this, this silver and purple banner. And I remember about 15 years ago when that banner was made for the first time and it was unveiled with great pomp and circumstance and brought up to the front of the platform and everybody is talking about our God who is a mighty warrior. And then you would look close and it was actually spelled MIGTHY. It just looked wrong. And it's like, what's wrong with that banner? Well, it was spelled wrong. It said MIGTHY WARRIOR. So it had to be corrected to say that God is a mighty warrior. It's right now. It has been for the last 15 years. That's how this psalm this, this starts off. David says, God is a mighty warrior. Here's the man who, who, slu- who slew the giant, Goliath. He says, God is a mighty warrior that can slay any giant. And then he will transition to use the term Jehovah to talk about the covenantal relationship that we have. See, David is celebrating the the glory of creation, but he's not worshiping it. He thinks about the sun and the way he pictures the sun, day after day, pouring forth its speech. It's speaking and saying something to us every single day, whether or not we hear it. And what is the sun doing? The sun is set out on the a race as it goes across the sky. The, the, the earth is rotating at a 1,000 miles per hour, and even though the sun seems to move so slowly across the sky, it's actually, like he says, like an athlete sprinting from horizon to horizon at a 1,000 miles an hour. Now, now, we all know that that's not exactly true because we're flying through space at 67,000 miles an hour, and all kinds of things are happening, but as the sun traverses over the sky even though it doesn't even seem like it's hardly moving. It's moving at 1,000 miles an hour as the the earth rotates. What he's saying is, it's amazing what God has done. You see, the sun was a god in Egypt. And David's not saying, "We, we don't worship it like the Egyptians did. In fact, you recall that one of the plagues that God delivered on the Egyptians was what? Darkness, in which it became pitch black. You could actually feel the darkness in Egypt. But do you remember what was unique about the plague of darkness? It was light in Goshen, where the Hebrew people were. God is the master over the light. He is the one who said, let there be light. He was the one who created the sun. And only God can stop the sun. There are people that that laugh about what Scripture says, but I believe it to be true. You don't believe in a big enough God if you can't reconcile the fact that in Joshua chapter 10, God stopped the sun so that Joshua could finish the battle of the day. The sun literally stopped. And we say, well, it's impossible. That, that is scientifically impossible. Yeah, it is scientifically impossible. But if you serve a God that is big enough to stop the sun, you have no question about that. And then what about Hezekiah? When God was delivering the message to him. And he said, what do you want? You want the sun to go forward or you want it to go backwards? I can do either one because I'm God. And Hezekiah said, well, you know, we always see it moving forward. How about if it goes backwards? You got it. And he moved the sun backwards. God is master over all and the sun much like God penetrates everywhere it goes except where it is blocked see there's some places you can you can shade and block the sun yes but the sun it goes everywhere it penetrates and that's the message of God Kent Hughes one of the commentators that I'm using for these messages was talking about a beautiful sunset that he witnessed in southern California And he was gathered along the beach with a number of other people as they saw this beautiful sunset going down into the Pacific. And when the final piece of the sun submerged under the water of the Pacific, this one man began to clap. And then everybody else around said, yeah. And they started clapping too, kind of the way clapping works. And what that guy was doing is he was recognizing the artistry of God And the fact that God had signed his signature at the bottom. All of creation carries the signature of God. And that's why creation speaks to us as it does. God has been speaking through creation since the beginning of time. It's not impeded by language or culture or location. Everyone on the planet, regardless of where they live, regardless of what language they speak, regardless of what their economic background is, they can understand this message if they are listening. See, if you don't hear somebody, like just right now, you're in this room, if you don't hear me, two things are happening. Either you're deaf or you're ignoring me. And I don't doubt that that's occurring both both things right now. When someone is speaking to you, Clearly, and if you don't hear them, it means you're deaf or you're ignoring them. And as God speaks to us, so oftentimes we are ignoring what He is saying, but we are responsible for what is being said. Just because we ignore it, for instance, let's say you're driving down the highway and the speed limit is 55 miles an hour, but you ignore that. You choose to pay attention like it doesn't even exist. And so you run it on up to about 95 and you get pulled over if you didn't see that sign are you responsible this is concerning yes. okay yeah we we all know that right you are responsible romans chapter 1 verse 18 says we're responsible in that passage of scripture Paul reminds us that we're without excuse, but he says the problem is that so oftentimes in our unrighteousness we suppress the truth. We block it out. All of creation is speaking. I don't know if any of you watch soap operas, probably not, but his- historically, Guiding Light was the longest running television show in television history. It ran for, does anybody know? 72 years years, 18,262 episodes from 1937 to 2009, 253 episodes per year, the longest running show on Broadway, I bet you know that one, The Phantom of the Opera, just closed out just a couple of months ago in April, it ran from 1988 to 2023, 35 years, over 400 performances per year, the curtain has come down on the longest-running television show and the longest-running show on Broadway, but the curtain of God's creation has not come down. Each day and night, we are privileged, privy to literally the greatest show on earth presented on the most magnificent screen known to man. Some of you are Apple followers. You know the Apple Vision Pro was introduced this last week after a decade of development amazing piece of equipment using augmented and virtual reality yet there is nothing augmented or virtual to the reality of what we see in which God paints his panoramic view continuously every single day the most enormous screen on all of the planet why would we choose to look down at this screen when we can look up and see this screen that proclaims the glory of who God is Think of the longest sermon that you have ever heard, and don't say it's this one. The longest sermon that you have ever heard. I remember when I was a seminary student uh, at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, and Leonard Ravenhill was speaking at the Southcliff Baptist Church. He was notorious. I shouldn't say notorious. He, was re- re- he had a great reputation of speaking at length. And I remember at one particular night that I was there, he spoke for an hour and a half. I remember a friend walking out after an hour because he said he had to get back to study. We are sitting through the longest sermon ever. You are currently sitting through the longest sermon ever. Ever. The sermon of creation that began at your birth and it will continue all the way to your death and it is continuous without interruption of God declaring through his creation who he is. That's general revelation. It's available to every person that is born. Everybody can see the message of God painted in creation. It points to creator, but the special revelation, and that's the, the, the companionship of Psalm 8 and Psalm 19, is that David moves from just in Psalm 8, he's talking about creation, and in Psalm 19, he moves from creation to the word of God, to say that we need more than just what creation says. We need to have special revelation that points us to the Savior. It's in verses 7 through 11, and this is where he transitions from talking about the mighty one, he begins to talk about Jehovah, to say that through God's word, we begin and enter into a relationship with him. He is the mighty one who is created, but he is the loving relational God that is demonstrated through his word. The law of the Lord is perfect. And we're going to talk about each one of these, and, and they're going to flash up on the screen here in a second, uh, just talking about, because special revelation is, is really the celebration of God's law. Just as a law of creation, just as there are laws for creation, there are laws for man. And when they're followed, they bring joy to us. When we obey the laws, we find that we experience greater joy in life. There may be times in which we wish we we didn't have to, but we experience greater joy when we follow the laws. And we seldom think of God's word as being inspiring, the law of God to be inspiring. But when David thought of this, He was inspired by what the Word of God would accomplish in his life and what would happen when he didn't follow the law of God, which we all know of at least two experiences, Bathsheba and Uriah. And he would say, when I follow after God's Word, I see what it accomplishes in my life, and when I don't follow after it and I disobey it, I see what happens in my life. One old preacher explained it this way. He said, we're all like a horse that need a bridle to guide us. God's word is a bridle that guides us in our life. So he describes God's word. All of these words, and I I know this is scary when you see all those words and you wonder, are you really going to talk about all of them briefly? Briefly. You might want to take a picture of the screen just to be reminded of these or jot them down because as you read God's word, these are the things that it does for us. These are the things that it is as David spoke of God's word. It's perfect. It never suffers defect. It never corrodes. It never goes bad. It's not like milk in a refrigerator. It is always constant. It restores. He goes back to the same word that he used in Psalm 23, talking about you restore my soul. It means to bring yourself back to where it belongs. That's what God, God's word does. It realigns us to where we need to be. It's like Luke 15 where we see the prodigal son. What a great picture there. Where is he? He's in the pig pen, and it says that he literally came to his senses When he came back to his senses. that's when he went back to the father. Scripture is trustworthy. It's permanently relevant, always relevant. You never have to wonder if it's going to change with the culture. Cultures will come and go, but God's word is constant. It's wise, which empowers us. You think about Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 15-16. through 16. You read through that uh, just a few weeks ago as you read through the Bible. And it talks about the poor yet wise man who saved a city. Nobody thought much about him. He's poor. What could you say? What could you do that would help but his wisdom? The wisdom of the poor man literally saved the city. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be educated to be wise because of what God's word will do in your life. It's right. It steers us in the right direction. It guides us to the way that pleases God. It's uplifting. It's joyful. It's, it's John 10.10. 10. Jesus said that I've come to give you life. What? Give it to you abundantly. God wants us to experience this vibrancy of, of joy in our lives. To, to say that you're an unjoyful Christian is an oxymoron. We should be joyful in life. Radiant. Radiant. It's hard to imagine that God's Word is radiant, like, just like that, that beautiful sunset that that man was talking and applauding about. That's what God's Word is. It's, it's radiant. It's filled with beauty. It enlightens the eyes, which means to make us alert and active. It, it gets us going, we don't need the, the triple shot of espresso, espresso or Mountain Dew or Dr. Pepper. God's Word enlightens us, brings us back to life. it says that it's pure and enduring. Sin deceives us. It it causes us to look the wrong way. When do we see sin clearly? In hindsight. When we look back, isn't it amazing how clearly we can see in hindsight? And we look back and we say, what was I thinking? God's word helps us to think now so we don't have to say that then. It's firm. Won't let you down. You know, Jay, you were walking up here. I'm thankful that that rail was firm. And I bet you are too. Can you imagine if you grabbed hold of that thing and it started wobbling? And by the way, what a great job. Thank you for sharing like that. Man, I remember walking into the ICU, not the first day, but the second day when you were in there. It looked like a medical warehouse. I've never seen so much equipment in one room. Um, And um, just to know what God has done in your life. What exciting. Thank you for sharing that. It's not going to let you down. Holy God's word will shape you into the holiness of God. That's what God has created you to be, is to be shaped into the image of God. That's why we say around here to live and love like Christ. That's the goal of life. Notice what it says about valuable, gold. You know, all of the world's gold, if it were melted down and put into a cube, would fit into our sanctuary. Now, you thought there's more gold than that, right? But if you took all the gold in the world and you melted it down, you could put it in a cube right here in the sanctuary. And we think of gold being so incredibly valuable. All of the world's gold is, uh, the world's gold is worth about $3 trillion. Not even half the national debt. And we look at gold and things that gold will buy, the 209,000 tons of it. And David, not understanding how much gold there was, still says that God's word is far infinitely more valuable than gold. But it's kind of like gold, and then you have to mine through it. It's always interesting to know how much work goes into getting an ounce of gold. 30 metric tons of dirt have to be moved to get an ounce of gold. And sometimes we want to treat God's word where we're just looking for the gold, flip the page, open the Bible, turn it, boom, back, minute here, minute there. But if we want to find the real gold of God's word, we have to mine for it. Spend some time in it. Go through a lot of it to see what it says. Honey, it's satisfying. Honey's an amazing thing, isn't it? You know, when they were excavating uh, around the pyramids, they discovered some honey that was, had been there for 3,000 years, and it was still edible. Isn't that amazing? The David would compare, of all the things he could compare, compare it with, he would say, it's like honey. Honey satisfies you think about Jonathan when they were out having the battle and Saul made this and just, just a bonehead decision. That while they're in battle, he says, nobody can eat today until we're done. And man, they're just worn out. They're frazzled as soldiers. He says, no rations today until you're the victors. Jonathan didn't get the memo and he picked up some, some, some honey while he was out in the forest. And man, it just it lit him up. It satisfied. It gave him energy. That's what honey does for us. And God's word does the same thing. It gives us energy, and at last, it's not going to go bad. It warns us, bridge out. When, when my parents were down in San Padre, uh, my dad was an interim pastor down there, and while they were there, it was, uh, right after 9-11, and a barge hit the ship and knocked out the main section of the bridge. And there were people that night that drove the bridge and they couldn't see over. You know, when you're driving a bridge, you can't see all of it. And they drove right over to their death. Oh, if they had only had a warning. God's word is a warning to us that protects us. It's a great reward, beneficial. Nothing in the world compares to seven brief words that we all hope to hear when our existence on earth is over, well done, my good and faithful servant. And it is through the guidance of God's word, the special revelation of God's word, that it will point us in the direction of hearing those words. So what is our point of refreshment? Point of refreshment is this, God's word is a treasure to be treasured. Look at verse 12 and 13. But who can discern their own errors? We can't. We can't see our blind spots, and so we need God's Word. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. Yes, there's sins that we don't understand, and you're reading through the Old Testament, it talks about the the unintentional sins. Interesting enough, we're responsible even for the unintentional sins. Oop, didn't mean to, but we're still responsible. And for our willful sins, when we say, God, I know that you say, I'm not supposed to do this, but by golly, I'm going to do it. May they not rule over me. May I not be dominated by sin and your word is what delivers me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. What is God's word? It's the truth. that speaks truth into our life. Pilate asked Jesus as he was standing in front of him, what is truth? Truth was standing before him and God's word is truth. Both God's word and the word, God are truth. You know, in in Psalm 8, it's a very interesting statement. If you look at the title of Psalm 8, it says to the Giddish, it's a, it's a term that refers to Gath. And we look at that, we gloss over it, it's like, what significance is that? It's just in the, in the superscription at the top, giving us a title to Psalm 8. But scholars believe that that refers to an instrument that David learned to play when he was running from Saul when he was living in Gath. He was living with the Philistines, with his enemies, and he learned to use an instrument of the enemies to worship God. God can use anything to bring worship to himself. God's word is our spiritual food. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and also in Luke chapter 4, when he's being tempted by the evil one who tried to make a stone look like Mrs. Baird's bread. And he said, man will not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's a model for us of how we take Scripture and we apply every part of it to our lives, not just certain portions. And all of these things that David said about the advantages of God's Word came from a fraction of the Bible that we have today. He wasn't talking about those great passages of Scripture that we mine throughout the New Testament. He was talking about this limited portion of Scripture that he had when he wrote. He was busy writing part of Scripture, yet he would say all of God's Word is advantageous. It's perfect. It makes us blameless because it points us to Christ. As you think about God's Word, I want you to know it is sufficient for all things. That's what Paul would write about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All Scripture is breathed by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The sufficiency of Scripture is it prepares you for everything in life. Does it address everything in life? No. But it prepares you for everything in life. <clears throat> AOL in its heyday, was the go-to mail service. How many of you at one point had an AOL address? I still do. Yeah, how many of you still have an AOL address? Okay, all right. We reveal how old we are. It was the go-to mail service. And do you remember those classic words that you would hear when you go, and then you sign in, and what would it say? You've got mail, and back then there wasn't spam. And so it was this exciting moment in which you, I've got mail. Somebody sent me an email. And back then, you didn't have thousands of emails. And you were looking for that message that came from somebody. You've got mail. It was an ubiquitous phrase that resulted in a 1998 movie with uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. The, The truth of what David is saying is we've all got mail every single day. The Creator is pouring forth this message. Every day that we wake up and we see the sunshine, we're reminded, you've got mail. And every time we turn to God's Word, we're reminded, you've got mail. God's speaking to us through the general revelation and the special revelation telling us what to do. Don't let it go to your spam folder. So what is our benediction? Verse 14 is one of the most memorized verses in all of Scripture. Scripture. It's a picture of us giving ourselves entirely to God, holding nothing back. When it says uh, that, we're, that the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth will be acceptable, it goes back, and again, the, va- the advantage point of reading the Old Testament, reading all of Scripture, it goes back to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 20, talks about what is saying about what happens when we give a sacrifice to God that is without defect and without blemish, that it would be acceptable to God, to say that some is not acceptable. And what he's saying here is that our words and the meditations of our hearts, that they would be acceptable like an unblemished sacrifice that is perfect and acceptable to God. And so we're going to close out with this benediction in just a minute, but I want to lead us in a prayer because, you know, my prayer always is, always is that God's special revelation would reach somebody that they would understand who Jesus Christ is and to know that God loves us and he's created us to have a relationship with him. That's what what David is writing about. He's not just talking about the migthi God out there. He's talking about the Jehovah God, the covenantal God who wants to have a relationship with us and that's why he's created us. But because of our sin, just as David talked about here, our sin separates us from holy God and it is an irreparable damage that is done except through Christ. Thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. And what we have to do is what David said, hold nothing back. Fully surrender your life to Christ. Jesus is not an insurance policy to file in a cabinet somewhere or to carry in your back pocket. Jesus is to be followed as Lord and Savior of all, that our whole life is submitted to him, that we turn from our sin and we turn to Christ. Not only at one point in time when we invite him to be Lord and Savior, but throughout the imbalance of our lives, we continually turn away from our sin and turn towards him. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you to join me in a very simple prayer to begin a relationship with Christ. If you're already a Christian, celebrate who God is and pray for someone that you know that has never invited Christ to be the Lord and Savior of their life. All they know is that there's a creator out there, but they don't know him as Lord and Savior. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for the power of your word that speaks uh, so incredibly to us, so clearly. We walk outside today and we think, where are we going to eat? What's next? Put on our sunglasses so we don't have to be bothered by the sun. But we know that all of that is an email from you telling us who you are. The majesty of a God who is ordained for us to have relationship with. With you Thank you, Lord. Thank you that David reminded us of that, that yes, it's wonderful to have a creation that speaks to us continuously. What a benefit to have the treasure of your word, to treasure your word, is a treasure, to know that it communicates clearly to us who you are, so that we can be ever-increasing in our understanding of you and in our relationship with you. Lord, if there's anyone in this room or listening online that has never received you as Lord and Savior. Might they realize that this is the greatest need of their life? They might have been distracted from this message. They they might be distracted overall, thinking of all the things that need to be done in their life. But Lord, this is the greatest need of every person that walks the face of this earth, to know you as Lord and Savior. So might they pray a prayer similar to this? From the depths of their heart, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord And Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, I pray that we would not ignore you, we would not be deaf to what you have to say, that we would allow the volume to be turned up in our life to hear the message of what the general revelation is saying to us each and every day and the special revelation that you give us through your word. Your word is a treasure. We pray that you would help us to treasure it. Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, you may have made a decision, decide you wanted to follow after Christ. Maybe you want to join this church. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. We're gonna change things up just a little bit here. We're gonna invite you to to meet us out at the Connection Center, out in the atrium after the service. And you can just bring one of these. It's right in front of you. It's a communication card. Put your name and phone number, and we'll get in touch and and, uh, pray with you however it needs to be. But rather than sing a closing song today, we're simply going to do a benediction, the benediction that we find in Psalm 19. Love you all. Thanks for listening. So let's stand together. Let's join our hearts and our hands as you see the words up on the screen behind me. I think there they are. Join your hearts and your hands together all across the sanctuary. And let's say these as a statement of our worship to God as a, as a prayer that we utter to him. You ready? As loud as we can, okay? None of this kind of chumpy stuff. As loud as we can, all right? This is God's word, and we're making a declaration to the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Love y'all. You're dismissed.